This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. I want to speak to you tonight on the subject of heaven. Most people, and far too many believers actually, only ever think of heaven in the terms of when somebody dies or somebody's dying. And that's all right as far as it goes. But sometimes it's kind of like our life assurance policy that's tucked away under the label in the event of or just in case the worst happens or when I'm old and gray or to the world it's somewhere over the rainbow or the great big nursing home in the sky and for many young people especially or pleasure seekers heaven sounds boring funless, unexciting. Like, in their minds, it's like one great, long, eternal church service. And they think, well, that's really boring. I don't want to go there. To others, it's just airy-fairy, pie-in-the-sky, it's whimsical, it's ethereal, it's just figment of our imagination. And consequently, we think of heaven very little, perhaps occasionally. And when we do, it's usually in a kind of a fuzzy way. Uh, And almost always it's when somebody dies. And there's nothing wrong with thinking about heaven and eternal things when somebody dies. But surely God means more than that. Surely heaven means more than just that. That we only think about it occasionally or when somebody's dying or died. We need to think about it a little bit better than that. Why would God create heaven for you and me if it doesn't beat the best that earth has got to offer? And heaven beats the best that earth has got to offer. Why would Christ spend the last 2,000 years preparing a place for us in heaven if it was no better than what we already have on earth? I think it's way better. C.S. Lewis said, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy. The only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And you and I are made for another world. This world will pass away. There's a cell by date on it. It's transient. It will go. In fact, Peter says... It will be burned with fire. There will never be another worldwide flood, but there's a fire that will renew heaven and renew earth, the heavens and the earth. And so everything we see is transient. Imagine this for a moment. In 120 years, at the very most, The seven billion people that are on earth right now will be dead and gone if the Lord doesn't tarry. Seven billion people. Gone where? Gone to what? Gone to whom? Don't just disappear into the ether. Not like the atheists believe that we just are a bunch of atoms and we came from atoms and we'll go back to atoms. No, no. Something is going to happen. There is a life after this life. So let's not be vague or fuzzy about our eternal home. Not like the English vicar when asked what he expected after death. Well, he says, when it comes to that, I suppose we shall enter into eternal bliss but I really wouldn't want to bring up such a depressing subject. (laughs) And sadly, sadly, that's to many people what it sounds like, a depressing subject, (laughs) because life to them is this life and this life only, and there's nothing after this life. And even if there was, it would be boring and awful. 
but that's not the truth. Paul spoke first in Philippians 1.23, Paul says to be with Christ, which is far better, far, far, far better. So that tells us that what's ahead is far better than what we have already got. Revelation 21 and 22 describes heaven for us. At least it describes the capital city of heaven, which is the New Jerusalem. And it tells us about its streets paved with gold <laughs> and about its jasper walls and about its foundations of 12 precious stones and about the river of life and the tree of life. And it tells us about the glory of it. And it doesn't need the sun or the moon because the light of the Lamb will lighten it. It's a wonderful, wonderful place beyond our imagination. And so tell me, if Revelation 21 and 22, which describes our heavenly home as in the New Jerusalem, tell me if that's not our favorite verses regarding heaven, what is? And actually, those two chapters aren't our favorite portions of Scripture regarding heaven. The two favorite scriptures regarding heaven, and you hear them at every single funeral, is John 14, in my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. And also, Psalm 23, 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And let me ask you a question. Why are those two verses more important to us than Revelation 21, 22 that describes heaven? I'll tell you why. It's because it's very, very hard for us to imagine streets of gold jasper walls, a river of life, tree of life. We've never seen it. We've never been there. But the other scriptures speak of home. In my father's house are many mansions. It speaks of home. And we understand home. Home is something that for most of us anyway is important and precious to us. You know, if you're away on a holiday, no matter how good or how bad it is, when you get back, you're glad to get into your own bed, aren't you? You're glad to get your own cup of tea. I don't even drink tea, but I know that feeling for those who do. It just doesn't quite taste the same anywhere else till you get home. Because it's home. And that's the way we are, generally speaking. There's something about home that appeals to us. And the fact is, we're going home. Our eternal home is being prepared for us. And it's being prepared in a very special way for us because we're on a journey, we're on a pilgrimage, we're just passing through. This is not our final destination. All of this is temporal. All of it will pass away. It will be gone and will be gone. You remember... When Adam lost his home in Eden and how he was put out of his home, of that special place that God had for him where he and God met and how that his son Cain was a wanderer, he had no settled abode and how that the Tower of Babel, how the people were scattered from there to the ends of the earth and even Abraham who set out in faith looking for a city whose builder and maker was God for here we have no continuing city and so there's something in us that desires home that wants a place our place that belongs to us and Jesus said I'm preparing a place for you especially for you, made for you, for no one else, a place for you. That's what God has for us. And we like till we come home that we can just relax. You know, when you go to somebody else's house, you know, you, you, you try to be nice and courteous and 
no, not over the table or anything. God, or break culture. Or you try to be nice. But when you're at home, well, you can do whatever you like, can't you? If your wife's away that day, when you can just kick back, you put your feet up on the chair if you like. <laughs> but you feel more comfortable in your own house. You know, years ago, uh, we did some training for evangelism explosion. Uh, and part of that training was uh, that you had to go into people's homes and you shared the gospel with them. But one of the things you're always told is when you go into somebody's house, always look to see what seat they sit on and don't sit on it. And it was easy to know the man's seat because the remote control was right at it. <laughs> or if it was a woman's seat, maybe it was her magazine. So you looked at those two most used seats <laughs> and you didn't dare sit in those because that's their seats. The idea was for them to be in their seat, for them to feel comfortable because if they're out of their seat and you're sitting in their seat, that's a strike against you for a start. And it's the same in church. You're creatures of habit, aren't you? I mean, I, I almost always know who's missing in church because that seat's missing. And nine times out of ten, that's your seat. That's the one you sit on almost all the time. Certain of you, if I ask you to swap sides in the church, you'd be aghast. It would be so radical to sit on that side instead of that side. You couldn't get over it. <laughs> and you like your own side of the bed. One wife said about her husband, she said, he can have any side of the bed he likes. I have the middle. <laughs> I go to prepare a place for you. Somewhere that's made specifically and especially just for you. That will just feel right for you. Heaven is our home because our Father is there. And because our Savior is there. <coughs> what about our unsaved loved ones and our dear friends who knew Christ, who's no longer with us today, but they've gone on to be with the Lord? Will we know each other in heaven? I have no doubt that we will. If we know each other on earth, why would we not know each other in heaven? It's almost a non-question that. But people ask that question, will we know each other in heaven? Why not? Why shouldn't we? Of course we'll know each other in heaven. Do you remember the story of the rich man and the beggar Lazarus? And how Lazarus died and went to Abraham's bosom? And how the rich man died? And there's a great gulf fixed between where Lazarus was and where the rich man was. And nobody could cross that. In Abraham's bosom, that was a Hebrew way of saying paradise. Now Christ hadn't died then, he hadn't resurrected then, he hadn't gone back to heaven then when he told that story. But since Christ died and rose again, has gone back to the glory, but between his death and his resurrection, he went to paradise. He said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. And they led captivity captive. That was the closest to those Old Testament saints had to heaven before they got there. And it was called Abraham's booze, and it was a wonderful place of paradise. But they were captive in a sense there. They couldn't do anything more than that. But Jesus led them out of there. And now, from this point on, it's absence from the body, it's present with the Lord. But when those two were there, do you remember what the rich man said? Father Abraham, he said, Get Lazarus to dip his finger in water and touch my tongue. I am tormented in this place. He recognized them, no problem. They recognized each other. They couldn't cross to each other, but they recognized each other. He recognized Father Abraham. And so we're not going to change that dramatically that we'll not recognize each other. Isn't that a good thing that we'll recognize each other? In Luke 9, in the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John were there. And suddenly Jesus, he began to, to glow with the glory. And they saw Moses and Elijah at his right hand and left hand, conversing with them. 
and they recognized him instantly, even though they had never seen him before. These were their boyhood heroes. They had read about them all their lives, and now they can see them. And they didn't have to ask who they were. They just instinctively knew who they were. I think when you're walking down the streets of gold and the apostle Paul walks past, I don't think you'll have to ask, are you Paul? I think you'll know that. And we'll know each other. And we'll remember each other. Sometimes it's hard in this life to remember each other, isn't it? I was sitting in a cafe one day with a guy we were in conversation and this couple came over to me and they launched into this great conversation with me and I answered them and talked to them and they went away and he says to me, who are they? I says, I have no idea. <laughs> not a clue. He'd have put a gun to my head, I could not have told you at that point. But they obviously knew me and recognized me and I probably should have known them, but I didn't because I'm human. But in heaven, that's not gonna happen. Are those in heaven aware of what is happening on earth? I think yes, to some degree. I need to be careful here because I don't want to give the impression that your wee Auntie Jean sees everything you do and knows everything about you. I don't think that's the case. But I think there is an awareness of those in heaven, generally what's happening on earth. Let me give you scripture for that. In Revelation chapter 6. And this is one of the seals of judgment that's being opened. It's the fifth seal, actually. It's called the cry of the martyrs, verse 9. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed, as it were, was completed. And so these martyrs were anxious. They wanted to know how long before you judge that earth. And they knew he hadn't. They understood that the earth hadn't been judged yet. So they knew something of what was going on in this world. And they were crying unto the Lord for justice and for judgment because of what happened to them and their fellow brethren. And so I, I believe that there is some degree of understanding and knowledge in Revelation 18. <coughs> Verse 19, and they threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour she is made desolate. Rejoice over her, over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Now I can't go, go into all of that there, but just to say, again, <coughs> crying out for judgment and justice and got it, and knew it, and seen it. And so to some degree or other, heaven knows what's going on in this earth. And then something a little bit near home, I suppose, in Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 1 and following, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, 
a cloud of witnesses, a great number of witnesses. And perhaps the, the writer to Hebrews in his mind was imagining maybe the Olympiads in the great arenas and how the seats would be full. If any of you have ever been to Rome and been in the Colosseum, when you're in the Colosseum, which is ruins today, but you get an idea of the sheer scale and size of it and those, how those marble seats would have been right up to the top, right down to almost to the floor level and how that there'd be thousands upon thousands watching the gladiators and then another part of Rome, they would have the, a track where athletes would run and again, there would be seats up either side where people could watch. They would be witnessing what was happening. And so there's a witness in heaven of what's happening to the saints on earth. So who has this great cloud of witnesses? Well, very obviously, I'm sure a lot of them would be the Old Testament saints. But why wouldn't it be the New Testament saints? Why wouldn't it be believers who has gone on before us and who are witnessing us running our race and hoping, wishing that we would continue to keep on running our race to win our victor's crown. And so there's some understanding to some degree of those in heaven of what's happening uh, on earth. And Luke 15. You remember that little uh, trilogy of parables? The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Verse 4, And what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Ah, I say to you, there shall be joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Or what woman having 10 silver coins, as she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. <laughs> Notice it says there is joy in the presence of the angels. It didn't say the angels were rejoicing particularly, but it says there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So who's joying? Who's full of joy? Who's rejoicing? Believers the ones who have gone before. When somebody on this earth gets saved, I don't know how God does it, whether there's a, a loudspeaker system in heaven, I don't know. But somehow or other, the news goes out that a sinner has been saved, has been washed in the blood of the Lamb, and that's cause for great rejoicing in heaven. Heaven is rejoicing continually. In fact, there's a verse in Revelation that says there's only going to be silence in heaven for the space of half an hour out of all eternity. So there's lots to rejoice about, isn't there? And so there must be some awareness going on of what's happening on earth. But I say again, I don't want you to think there's an individual awareness because then you get into that creepy area where people think, well, I can talk to so-and-so. So-and-so will help me. No, no, no. No, no, the Bible warns against that. Just leave that completely out and utterly out. How real is heaven? The reason why I say that is because there's lots of people, and I'm talking about theologians, who believe that heaven is not real. They allegorize it. And they make it a story. But it's not real. It's not tangible. It's not material. But everything I read in Scripture says the opposite. That, by the way, comes from an ancient teaching from Plato, 
who believe that spirit is good and material is bad. And the less the material you have, the better you are spiritually. And so they allegorize everything that's material in scripture and make it spiritual. <coughs> and that started to creep into the church over the centuries. So even today, there's those who are theologians today who allegorize everything there is about heaven. But I'm glad Jesus didn't. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house. Not in my imaginary mind. In my Father's house are many rooms or many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. In Hebrews uh, chapter 10. Sorry, Hebrews 11, I beg your pardon. Well, let me read in verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called out to the place which he would receive as inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of him of the same promise. <laughs> for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have the opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country, Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Hebrews 13, verse 14. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. So I believe that, and there's many other scriptures, that absolutely for sure... <coughs> Heaven is a literal place, more real than here, that will never pass away, that's eternal. Let me just read to you uh, a couple of chapters in Revelation. Revelation 21. Sally and I was at a funeral uh, just a couple of months ago. It was a neighbor who died. And while we were there, a couple came, to, well, a guy came to me first of all, and it must be, I don't know, 35, 40 years since I last met him. And I didn't really recognize him really. And I think he struggled to recognize me. But nevertheless, he came. So we get chatting, and I says, where's your wife? I says, she's over there, and she was making her way over to me. And she said to me something that I had completely forgotten about. She said, you know, David, many, many years ago when my dad was dying, I asked you to come and meet with him. He was a believer. And he asked you, would you read the scriptures to me? And he said, you read Revelation 21 and 22. And she says, it was so beautiful. It gave him such comfort. I think he died the next day after that, by the way. He was really, literally dying. And she says, it gave him such comfort to know that's where he was going. So let's read it together. <laughs> now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. By the way, the new Jerusalem will come down out of heaven onto the earth. And many believe that's where we're going to dwell. Because at that time, there'll be many nations on the earth and the kings of the nations will come in to pay tribute to the king of kings and lord of lords. 
but that's a whole other story. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Everything that sin did to humanity will be gone forever. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cardly the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And one of the seven angels who had seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, and I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away, in the spirit to a great and high mountain. And he showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And also she had a great high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and, 12, and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates in the east, three gates in the north, three gates in the south, and three gates in the west. And now the wall of the city had twelve fountains, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he who taught with me had a gold reed to measure the city and its gates and its wall. And the city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length and breadth and height are equal. So it's a cube shape. Then he measured its wall, 142, 44 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. So an angel is measuring this with the measure of a man. So if this is not real and literal, why in the world would the scripture tell us it was measured with the measurements of a man? Because there's people who try to allegorize this. You don't know, tell us, well, the fountain is the Spirit of God and, and the walls are security and the gates are this. And, that. and so it becomes just whatever you want to make it. But it's deliberately said here, measured with the measure of a man. The construction of its wall was of jasper and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrius, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. If God is God, who's a God of creativity, who's a God of ingenuity, he can make it any way he wants because he's God. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And there shall by no means enter into it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let me just read a little bit more and he showed me a pure river of water of life clear as crystal proceeding from the throne of God and of the lamb in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life which bore twelve fruits each tree yielding its fruit every month the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations 
and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads, and there shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor the light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and forever. Glory to God. What a place. This is real. The New Jerusalem is huge, enormous, beyond any standard that we can ever think of. There's not a city on earth that can compare with this city, with God's city. When it was measured, the measurements between 14 and 15 hundreds, hundred miles long, 14, 1500 miles wide, 14, 1500 miles high, because it's cube shaped. How big is that? The bottom floor would cover 2 million square miles. That's 15,000 times bigger than London, 20 times bigger than New Zealand, 40 times bigger than England. 10 times bigger than Germany or France, three quarters the size of America, bigger than the subcontinent of India. That's massive. That's ma and that's only the bottom floor. See, people say, well, well all these people who, who died and went to heaven through all the generations from Adam onwards, where's God going to put them? That's not a problem to God. They can build a city that would hold a population of 70 times the reckon more than the present population. That's 490 billion, by the way. <laughs> 7 billion on earth. Because God's God. By the way, and we don't know for sure, but it looks like that these are stories because it's cube shaped. Say each story was 12 feet high. They reckon there could be 600,000 stories. This is just the city, by the way. This is capital city. It sounds far-fetched. It sounds almost too good to be true. It sounds unbelievable. Really? This is God we're talking about. Now, that sounds too hard to believe. There's a mountain on Mars, Olympus Mons, that's 15 miles high. Can you imagine that? Its base is the size of France. And Mars is not the size of Earth. It's smaller than Earth. It's huge. There's a canyon on Mars. Some of you have been to the Grand Canyon. That's just a wee scrape in the ground compared to the Valles Marineris because it is... 2,800 miles long, 370 miles wide, four and a half miles deep. That's 10 times longer and five times deeper than the Grand Canyon. <laughs> and there's nobody there to see it. God can make whatever he likes. So if God wants to make a huge city, who are we to argue? So let's not just spiritualize everything and allegorize everything. Yes, there are allegories in the Bible. Yes, there's metaphors in the Bible. Yes, there's things we can't spiritualize. There's things that are real that we can spiritualize too, but it doesn't make it less real. And this is real. And there's a river of life that flows from the throne of God, clear as crystal. That's something, isn't it? And there's the tree of life in fact, I think there's more than just a tree of life because there's a, a tree is on either side of the river. So there's more than one tree. I believe there's lots of trees. And it says the leaves of these trees are for the healing of the nations. And the word healing is theopira, which is where we get therapy from, for the well-being of the nations. Now, it's hard to understand this, but do you remember Adam and Eve in the garden? You remember there's the tree of life? There's a tree of knowledge of good and evil. Well, they were partaking of the tree of life and any other tree, but there was that one 
God says, don't eat of that tree because the day you do is the day you die. And they went ahead and they did that. And they died. They didn't die physically that moment, but they died spiritually. Their relationship with God was instantly broken. And the physical death came as a result of that because sin had come in. But what did he do next? He barred their way to the tree of life. Lest they eat of that and live forever in that sinful state because God made them to be immortal, to live forever in communication with him, in fellowship with him. But they broke that. And if they partook of the tree of life after that, they'd live forever in that state of sin. God didn't want that. So he sent a, an angel with a flaming sword to stop them and he put them out of the garden. So there's something about that tree of life <coughs> that caused their immortality. So there's maybe going to be something about the trees, the leaves of the trees, for the well-being of the nations. Can't understand that. And you can't either. But there's something about it that's going to be for the good of mankind. Whatever that is, we'll leave that up to God. In Ezekiel 47 and 12, this is what it says, along the bank of the river, on this side and that, will grow all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail. By the way, those trees will grow fruit every month. You fruit every month. There's not a tree on earth can do that. Their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail. They will bear fruit every month because their water flows from the sanctuary. That just sounds like revelation, doesn't it? Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for medicine. So that prophecy way back in Ezekiel confirms what is said in Revelation. What age will we be in heaven? <laughs> I wish I had the answer to that, but I don't have to be honest. Sorry to disappoint you. But let me say this. They reckon that the average <laughs> human being, that there's a, a prime age, and that may vary from nation to nation. But generally in the West, the prime age seems to be late 20s, early 30s. Up to then, you're gaining strength. After that, you're losing strength. Jesus at 33 was in his prime when he was crucified. Does that mean we're all going to look like we're 28 or 33? I don't think so. But we're going to be, whatever age we are in heaven, it's going to be prime for us. We're going to be super fit. Does that mean all the men will have six packs? I don't think so. Unless <laughs> you're Jimmy Chung. And he keeps his. But all we can say is, whatever age we'll be, we'll be fully fit, fully functional, perfect eyesight, perfect hearing, perfect mobility, no disease, no arthritis, no pains, no aches. You know, when you get up in the morning, you get a wee bit older, you get up in the morning, you're kind of walking in sections, aren't you, for about 10 minutes <laughs> till you get yourself together. <laughs> but not in heaven. Not in heaven. It's going to be wonderful. Will there be babies in heaven? See, a good question, isn't it? Will there be babies in heaven? What about all those parents who have lost their little child? Will there be a little child when they see them again? Or will they have grown up? I have a sister that I never met. She died when she was 18 months. Weed Lizzie. I'm going to see wee Lizzie. Will wee Lizzie know me? I think so. Will I know wee Lizzie? I think so. How? I don't know. But I think as soon as we meet, I'll say, that's my sister. He's my brother. <coughs> will she be wee Lizzie? Or will she be big Lizzie? <laughs> I don't know. But there's lots of people who have lost their child and they wonder, what will my child be like? Is there a nursery in heaven for them to grow up in? I don't know. All I know is we'll know each other when we see each other 
and we'll be perfect. And it'll be wonderful reunion. It'll be wonderful. Jodie Tara Erickson, the quadriplegic. <coughs> She's no feeling from the shoulders down. Result of an accident, she'd been, I guess, for many, many years, confined to a wheelchair. And actually, in spite of that, she's done a fantastic job. She's reached millions of people, millions around the world. It's a great story. She said one time she was in a, she was speaking to, to people in a home where they had mental health issues. Some of them were mentally handicapped. And she was telling her story, and she was saying that one day, when I go to heaven, I'm never going to be in a wheelchair again. My body is going to be perfect, and I'll be fully healthy. And they all looked at her, and they didn't say anything. And she says, the good news is, when you get to heaven, you're going to have a new mind, a perfect mind. And they all clapped because that's what they wanted. They wanted a mind that wasn't confused, that was functioning properly, that was good, that was sound. And that's what we're going to have. We're going to close now very quickly. I've been a wee bit longer tonight, but let me close quickly. Henry Durbanville says, Heaven is the center of a Christian's universe, and we are bound to it by eight golden links. By the way, there's so much to talk about heaven that I'm only scratching the surface. There's 580-something references to heaven in Scripture, so I've only mentioned just a few of them. So he said, we're bound to heaven by eight golden links. Number one, our Father is there, our Father who art in heaven. Our Savior is there. Hebrews 9.24, Christ has entered into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Our home is there. I go to prepare a place for you. Our name is there. Luke 10, 20. Rejoice, your names are written in heaven. Our inheritance is there. 1 Peter 1, 3 and 5. We have an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Our life is there. Colossians 3, 1 to 4, you can read. Our life is there. Our heart is there. Matthew 6, do not lay up for yourselves treasures in earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break through and steal, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Our treasure is there. That's where our heart is there. Our citizenship is there. Philippians 3.20 for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Heaven is important for who is there, but it's also important because of who's not there. You see, heaven wouldn't be heaven if certain people were there. There are people that will be barred from heaven tells us in Revelation 22, 14, 15. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates of the city, but outside are dogs. In those days, Jews called uncircumcised people dogs because they're outside the covenant. Outside are dogs, sorcerers. It's interesting that word is where we get pharmaceutical from. So it could be referring to drugs and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. You, would, you, you are very careful who you let into your home, are you not? If somebody came at midnight and knocked your door, total stranger, would you open the door and say, yeah, just come on in. I'll make you a cup of tea. You'd be very careful. Who is this? Why are they knocking on my door at midnight? Who are they? 
You be careful. God's careful who he lets into his home. And only those who put their trust in his son, only those who have given their lives to Jesus will be allowed in his home. And those who rejected Christ, those who blaspheme, those who are cardinally who will not stand up for Christ and truth, there will be no place in heaven for them. So it's a serious thing, isn't it? And heaven wouldn't be heaven if you had lawbreakers. Sure it wouldn't. Wouldn't be heaven. But there'll be no lawbreakers. Only those who love the Lord. Let me finish with this. I have an old Bible at home and a copy of this out of it. There's, at the back of it, there's a lady called Marcel Price. It's called Heaven, a Guide for Travelers. I read this to you before, but it's worth repeating for those of you who haven't heard it. Accommodation. Arrangements for first-class accommodation have been made in advance. I've never flown first class. I've flown business class a couple of times. I've got free upgrades. Business class is good. But I've never flown first class. I believe it's even better. One preacher I heard one time, Jeff Lucas. Some of you may know Jeff Lucas. He's a very funny guy. He travels, he travels to cross back and forth to England and America about two or three times a month. He says, I'm permanently tired of travel. But he says, sometimes you get an upgrade. He says, one day a stewardess came to me, or somebody came out and said to me, Mr. Lucas, you're going to get an upgrade to business today. Oh, he says, wonderful. He says, that is wonderful. I'm really so happy to get you that you're doing that. Wonderful. He says, I made a whole big thing of it. He says, I genuinely felt this is wonderful. So he says, after a little while, she can buy again. He says, by the way, she says, I'm going to upgrade you again to, to first class. First class. He says, why? He says, well, you were so nice about business class. So sometimes when we upgrade the business class, you know, they become very uppity and demanding. It says, you were so appreciative. I'm going to put you in first class. He says, it was brilliant. He says, I thought they were going to tuck me into bed and read my bedtime story. <laughs> he says, it was brilliant. <laughs> and only Jeff Lucas could tell you that story. He's a funny guy. Arrangements for first class accommodation have been made in advance in my father's house or many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. Passports. Persons seeking entry will not be permitted past the gates without having proper credentials, having their names registered with the ruling authority. There shall no wise enter in anything that defileth, but they that are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Departure times. The exact date of departure has not been announced. Travelers are advised to be prepared to leave at short notice. Acts 1.7, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. Tickets. Your ticket has a, is a written pledge that guarantees your journey. It should be claimed and its promises kept firmly in hand. Uh, John 5.24, 1 John 5.24, He that heareth my word and believeth in him that sent me as everlasting life shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. That's John, not 1 John. Customs. Only one declaration is required while going through customs. If you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Customs. First time Clifford and I went to Ukraine. And I mean, it's changed a lot since 2001. The airport was something to behold, wasn't it, Clifford? There was no carousel for your bag. It was all dumped in a big room. I was telling somebody this recently. And you had to go in and hook and poke and find your bag. And then you come out, trailing it out behind you. And then there's a big Russian woman at customs. And she didn't hardly know any English. The only thing she knew was how much money you got. That was her question. And it wouldn't matter if she says a million dollars or 50 quid. Okay. <laughs> and that, that was her job all day. Much money you got? Okay. <laughs> Immigration. All passengers classified as immigrants since they're taking up permanent residence in a new country. Their quota is unlimited. They desire a better country that is a heavenly country. For he has prepared for them a city, Hebrews 11:16. Luggage. No luggage whatsoever can be taken. We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. <laughs> air passage. Travelers going directly by air are advised to watch daily for indications of imminent departure. Do you believe in the rapture? 
I still do. There's lots of us, but I do. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Just a few more. Vaccination and inoculation. Injections are not needed as diseases are unknown at the destination. All you nurses will be out of a job. <laughs> and just to make you feel better, all preachers will be out of a job too. Isn't that good? You'll never ever hear me preach again. That'll be my last sermon before I go. Amen? Well, I hope it's not, actually. But <laughs> Let me just roll back a little bit on that statement. Huh? Be careful what you wish for. Huh? Yeah. Uh, is our insurance policy up to date, love? Is it okay? All right. All right. <laughs> currency. Supplies of currency may be forwarded ahead to await the passenger's arrival. Deposits should be as large as possible. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither rust nor must, neither moth nor rust does corrupt, where thieves do not break and steal. Clothing. A complete and appropriate new wardrobe is provided for each traveler. He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robes of righteousness. You're going to get a nice new linen. Well, for you ladies, it'll be a linen frock. For us men, I'm sure it'll be a linen suit. <laughs> and I hope it's not the kind that keeps wrinkling. <laughs> I only ever had one linen suit in my life, and I hated it because it was just a bundle of wrinkles. I remember I got it just before I went to America and was preaching this church. It was a Sunday morning. And just before the service started, I went into the men's room, and there's a great big mirror, and I looked, and it, you think somebody had taken it and just screwed it into a ball. <laughs> so I took the jacket off. And... So I hope the linen in heaven is of top-notch quality. <laughs> Time changes. Resetting of watches will not be necessary to adjust to any day or night schedule. The city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, because the glory of God did that. Reservations, booking is now open. Apply at once. Now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Coronation ceremony, the highlight of the journey is the welcoming reception and coronation, which will await each new arrival. There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, not to me only, but also to those who love his appearing. <laughs> Sarah down there loves doing makeovers, don't you, Sarah? Where is she? Oh, there she's there. She loves doing makeovers. Sarah, you are going to get a complete makeover. And I'm going to get one too. A heavenly makeover. Sally and I was on a cruise recently, and it was my birthday, and that's why we're on it. And there was a birthday card and present waiting for me in my cabin on my birthday. And I opened it up thinking, this is great. I opened it up. You know what it was for? A facial. <laughs> a facial. And I said to the fellow who's looking after the car, he says, my birthday, not hers, mine. A facial. Give it to her, he says. I said, I've had it been a shave or a haircut. A facial. You're all going to get a heavenly makeover. And you're going to look a million dollars for the rest of your life. All the baggies and things will be gone, eh? That'll be great. Clifford will have a complete new head of hair. But he was when he was 15. All right? There'll be no big guts, I'm sure. They'll be all looking sharp. I'm jesting. But the reality is, it's going to be wonderful. Heaven's going to be a wonderful, wonderful place. And whenever you go there, whenever that would be, I am sure there'll be those who'll be waiting at the gate for your arrival. And there'll be a welcoming committee. There'll be of your loved ones or your friends or the angels will be there. You'll be escorted, by the way, when you die, you'll be escorted by the angels straight into heaven. They'll come for you. It'll be wonderful. Glory to God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are preparing a place for us. What an exciting place it's going to be. What sights we're going to see. What a vision we shall have. What a scene awaits us. It'll be glorious beyond our imagination. And so we thank you for these little snippets that we read. 
little tasters, but the reality is going to be so much better. And so we bless you and we give you thanks for it. Help us, Lord, to be prepared. For heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. So we thank you, Lord, that we have got our ticket. Our passport is ready. It's stamped and we're ready to go. So whenever that comes, Lord, whether you come or whether you call, we pray, O oh God, that as we enter into your presence, that you will say to each of us, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. And so we give you thanks and we bless you for this. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.